In just a few short weeks, the coronavirus has disrupted almost every facet of American life. Schools and businesses have shuttered, athletic events and concerts have been canceled, hundreds of millions of Americans have been ordered to stay at home for the foreseeable future. Even this podcast, you might notice, sounds a little different. I'm recording from my bedroom, not a studio like usual, while I'm sheltered in place here at the Wake Up to Politics headquarters. Politics, of course, has been no exception to this unprecedented disruption. Primary elections have been postponed, campaigning has moved completely online, and there's a giant question mark hovering over the 2020 election, as it remains unclear if Americans will even be able to cast ballots in the traditional way this November. On this episode of Wake Up to Politics, we will hear straight from you, listeners from across the country, and hear your questions and concerns about the impact coronavirus will have on the elections and politics at large. Hi, Gabe. Mark from Baldwin, Missouri. This is Susie Peachin. I'm out in Portland, Oregon. from De Pere, Wisconsin. We have a very important primary. And then I'll speak with Amber McReynolds, the former director of election in Denver and a leading advocate for vote-by-mail policies, who will answer some of those questions and talk about how we are, as a country are doing to adapt to this new electoral reality. This pandemic has exposed some real vulnerabilities that exist in our election uh, structure, especially with the states that are reliant on in-person voting and limit options for voters. I'm Gabe Fleischer, and from St. Louis Public Radio and me, this is Wake Up to Politics. When I put a call out to my listeners to hear what they were thinking about the effects of coronavirus on the November elections, one of the biggest concerns I heard was people wondering how the elections themselves would be run. Gabe, my name is Marcia Tingley, and I live in Tucson, Arizona. I'm very worried about the impact of this pandemic on the November election. From everything I've read, there is a strong possibility that the virus will come roaring back in the fall, leaving us all to shelter in place again. If Congress and many of the state legislatures, most of whom seem disinclined to act, do not authorize automatic voter registration and mail-in voting, I'm extremely worried about low turnout and thus about the results. Thank you. I called up Amber McReynolds, the CEO of the National Vote at Home Institute, a nonpartisan group that advocates for mail-in voting, to give us an update on how election authorities are responding to the coronavirus pandemic. Amber and I spoke over Zoom from her home office. And like all of us, she's trying to navigate the new reality we're living in. And I'm also a single mom with two small kids that are in third grade and first grade. So we're also adjusting to homeschooling and kind of what that looks like. So we have, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things happening in our home suddenly. As director of elections in Denver, Amber was a driving force behind Colorado's move in 2013 to all-male elections. Since 2018, long before the coronavirus pandemic began, she has been pushing for states across the country to follow Colorado's lead and expand access to voting at home. I feel like I've I've been sort of preparing my whole life to be in this role um, to help not only, you know, state and local election officials, but um, everyone who's looking at how this will, how this change will impact them, implement a system that's going to better serve their voters in a meaningful way, and and also, you know, address an emergency situation and a crisis. Vote by mail can take on a few different forms. There are five states, plus a number of counties in California, that have what are called all-mail elections, where ballots are automatically mailed to every voter before the election. 
And then voters can either return that ballot, drop it off in person if they want, or mail it back. Now, this doesn't mean there isn't also in-person voting, but it does give voters the option to cast their ballot without standing in line in a potentially crowded polling place. Or if they want to, they can go to a vote center or vote in person. So it's not like we're suggesting that we get rid of all in-person voting, but we're suggesting that we automatically mail a ballot to every voter while also preserving a limited number of in, you know, in-person voting options. 28 states give voters the option to request that an absentee ballot is sent to them without giving any excuse. Uh, Arizona and Montana, as an example, are close to 80 percent uh, of their voters request their ballot by mail right now. So they're, they're actually almost all vote by mail without, without enacting it for, for, every, uh, for every voter. The remaining 17 states all have absentee mail voting in some form, to require voters to give an excuse before they are sent to ballot. While vote-by-mail has gotten a lot of attention recently, absentee voting dates all the way back to the Civil War. Automatic mail elections have mostly been implemented in the western United States so far. And one listener of Wake Up to Politics who lives in Oregon, an early vote-by-mail state, says there, it's become the norm. Hi, Gabe, and Wake Up to Politics. This is Susie Peachin. I'm out in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Here in Oregon, we have had vote by mail for many years, and it's our normal. It's a secure way to vote. It's safe. People have confidence in voting by mail, and I think that's one of the most important things is that we have confidence in governmental institutions. As Susie hinted at, states that have implemented full vote by mail elections have seen voter turnout skyrocket, even while other states of the union have consistently seen their turnout rates plummet. The vote-at-home states traditionally um, all are in the top seven states or were in the top seven states in 2018. If we streamline the process and make it easier for voters to engage with it and meet voters where they are, we're going to see higher engagement, and that's good for democracy. So far this year, Colorado reigns as the state with the highest voter turnout in their primary election. Coming in at number three is Washington. Both are vote-by-mail states and both held their primaries in the month of March as the threat of coronavirus was growing. That isn't to say there aren't criticisms of vote-by-mail. Many have raised security concerns, pointing out that mailing ballots could lead to an increase in voter fraud or coercion. In Denver, they created technology to try to counteract that. We can track it just like we would a FedEx package through the entire process. So we know once it's out for delivery to you, Uh, You can see when it goes back to your election official and when the election official actually receives it. You get all of the messages around that. So you have full visibility and transparency, and that really enhances security. Amber also mentioned the need for election authorities to have quality address data for voters, as well as systems in place to compare how a voter signs their ballot to signatures of theirs on file to ensure that the voter really is who they say they are. But those are essentially the safeguards that we you know, want to make sure are in the process to prevent any anybody from doing anything nefariously or, or trying to interfere with the process. Um, and the one final thing I would say about that is penalties around that. So making sure that there's penalties against voter intimidation, penalties against voter misinformation, all those things are really important to make sure are in the laws, on the books and states, Um, to discourage uh, any of that bad behavior um, or any of that uh, attempt to make anything um, uh, intimidate voters or or try to interfere with the process in any way. Recently, there have also been criticisms made that vote-by-mail is a partisan effort. Amber pushed back strongly against that claim. 
not a partisan issue. It's an issue of ensuring that all Americans can vote in a safe and secure way. And this, this voting model has been in place in red states, in blue states. It's used by voters of all different political stripes. It doesn't benefit one side or the other. It simply benefits voters. With Election Day only seven months away, how much time do states have to set up vote by mail? Amber says only a matter of weeks. We need swift decisions to happen by April 15th, somewhere between April 15th and May 1st. Uh, even then, it's getting kind of late. We need states to start making decisions of not just looking at the primaries in the summer, but actually saying we need to make these adjustments for November. And we're seeing a little bit of that. Um, and we're seeing a couple of state legislative bodies adjust a few things, but we need, we need swift decision-making to start now. But instead of that swift decision-making, most states have dragged their feet in finding alternatives to traditional elections. You know, equipment needs to be ordered, paper needs to be ordered, vendors need to be secured, processes and procedures need to be adjusted. There are vendors willing to help, and there are vendors ready to go, and there are nonprofits like ours that are willing to help. But there have to be the, the decision and, the, and almost the pressing of the go button um, so, that, so that people can act. But before we even get to November, there are still primaries to be held this year. Although more than a dozen states have postponed their primary elections, as of this recording, one, Wisconsin, is still planning on holding theirs on Tuesday, April 7th. We heard from a listener in Wisconsin who is worried about that prospect. Hi, this is Steve Harrell calling from De Pere, Wisconsin. We have a very important primary on April 7th. We are selecting a Supreme Court justice, uh, uh, city and county officials, as well as a presidential primary. For me, this has indicated how we really need to become more advanced technologically in our voting systems be it online voting or easier access to paper, paper voting. So I think this is a wake-up call for how we perform our elections. Another listener asked if anything like this has ever happened to our elections before. Mark from Baldwin, Missouri here. I'm wondering if you can give some historical perspective on other campaigns in times of national crisis. The closest parallel we have are the 1918 midterm elections which took place right in the middle of the Spanish flu outbreak. Campaigning was largely suspended, but polling places did stay open and the election went on as scheduled, with voters and poll workers showing up in face masks. But the result was one of the lowest voter turnout rates in American history, and in at least some areas, a spike in infections and deaths after election day. Already in Florida, which held its primary on March 17th of this year, two poll workers tested positive for coronavirus in the days after the election. Can Americans risk going into the November elections without a contingency plan in place? You know, I think what's at stake is is the lowest turnout that we've ever seen in our country. Because if people don't have an option that isn't going and hanging out in a crowded space and waiting hours and hours, or if there's not enough poll workers to actually make that happen, we're going to have a problem. And, you know, I, I don't think people are going to be in the mood to risk their health uh, to go stand in line in a crowded space or 
you know, deal with that kind of stress. And I don't think that's something that we should be adding on people's plates right now when people are trying to survive and make sure their, their families are safe. My estimate is that states would need, uh, just with printing of ballots, prepaid postage, the equipment necessary, that it would be around $1.2 billion uh, collectively. Congress allocated $400 million without any um, specifics as to what that money could go for last week. And frankly, that's just, that doesn't, that's not going to work uh, for, the, for this environment. And it frankly didn't provide enough guidance to states on, on what they should do with the funds either. Um, so we need to make sure that our elections are funded, especially for November. The election date cannot be moved in November. Uh, it's, it's As the 2020 election creeps closer, we'll continue to talk about the impact coronavirus is having on the campaign and ask to hear your questions and comments. So sign up for my newsletter at wakeuptopolitics.com to make sure you don't miss those requests. The Wake Up to Politics podcast is produced by me, Gabe Fleischer, and Tim Lloyd, the senior producer of on-demand and content partnerships at St. Louis Public Radio. I hope all of you are staying healthy and safe wherever you're listening from.